whiskey. Welcome to the Whiskey Underground. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the BSEA Whiskey Underground. We're here tonight in a secret speakeasy to relax and enjoy some of the finest man-made creations on Earth, whiskey. Brant. What's happening, Scott? How are you? I'm good, man. James Bond quarter is underway. It's, uh, we've, we've dropped the first episode. It's time for a little short pour. I'm, d- I'm down. And you know what? You know what? For the first time in a while, we actually have, have a guest in the speakeasy. Is it a, it's been you, me, and Jeeves for so long. guest or did he, like, break in? Well, that's true. The last time we had guests, they broke in and trashed it. Wanted guests or unwanted. Wanted guests versus unwanted guests. <laughs> <laughs> and so tonight, joining us down here in the speakeasy is uh, the one and only uh, Chris Trostel, Three Sheets MD. What's going on, guys? How's it going? Three Sheets MD. Good. <laughs> We're talking about the medicine tonight. We are, uh, yeah, fixes we are talking about the medicine tonight, too. I mean, <laughs> la- last time we actually, I think last time we recorded, Scott, I was like just getting over a cold, and it was like my yeah. taste buds were just like, man, what? This is something's going on. I can't pinpoint it. Whatever. So, and and did the bourbon help? Absolutely. I'm I'm better now. See, see, it's, it's science. Nice. I can't I can't explain it. It's just science. Uh, so tonight we're gonna we're gonna do a little short pour. We've got uh, we've got some good bottles here. Um, it's uh, what do you guys want to start with? Some bourbon or some scotch? Uh, we'll start with some scotch. All right. Well, you're the guest, so uh, we're gonna start with some scotch. Uh, but we're also gonna be talking about some pretty awesome stuff like uh, James Bond. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Now, Chris, Chris, you're a huge Bond fan. Yeah, I think see you and I kind of. When our friendship kicked off, that's kind of one of the things we bonded over was, you know, whiskey oh, yeah. and bond, and we were always kind of talking. It's like, you know, it's one of the things that my dad, you know, and I grew up watching was just bond. You know, he's like, well, my dad's favorite bond was Sean Connery, so, you know, we wow. always watched those, so. And I think I think that's where it started for me. Back in the early 90s, uh, right before Gold thing, or Goldeneye came out, right before they kind of rebooted the series, uh, it was a bit of a hiatus between... Uh, License to Kill and uh, Gold Goldeneye, mm-hmm. and TBS would have the 13 Days of 007. Do you yeah, guys remember yeah, that? Yeah, because like, TNT. Yeah, now they do the now they do the Harry Potter crap. Yeah, they do that. Yeah, yeah, they do the James Bond marathon. And so it was it was always you know me and my dad kind of sit down watching Bond films and watching the old ones. So you know that's also where my love for the series comes. Um. All right, so let's crack into some scotch first of all, because uh, we can't talk about some Bond without talking about some scotch, because it is a BSEA podcast, uh, even though we're, we're dedicating this quarter to James Bond. So tonight, uh, we are drinking the... It's kind of new. Now, 
This has become a sort of thing for celebrities to do, and that's uh, release their own whiskey. And Lagavulin has partnered with Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman is most famous for playing uh, who on Parks and Rec? What was his name? Swanson. Ron, Ron Swanson. Ron Swanson. Yeah. Now, on on Parks and Rec, obviously, uh, Ron Swanson loved Lagavulin 16. And, and for good reason. I mean, let's not joke. Lagavulin, Lagavulin 16 is a damn fine whiskey. Oh, yeah. So... Well, there's a, there's a whole video on Netflix of him just sitting in front of a fireplace and drinking Lagavulin for a good solid, what, like an hour and a half or something like that? Yeah, it's like an hour and 15 minutes. He's just sitting there sipping on scotch. Yeah. So, Brent, uh, obviously we heard about this a while ago and we kind of waited around to get it in at the Speakeasy. It, this is an in, it's, it's an interesting one. Well, this, I mean, so you were talking about a lot of celebrities doing jumping on this kind of bandwagon doing the whole putting their name on a... Alcohol, liquor, bottle, bottle, whatever. Yeah. But most of them, most of them in, invest or buy or, you know, have a brand that's theirs. It's kind of crazy that this is like a limited edition one bottle release from a massive company um, like Diageo that owns an insane line mm-hmm. of scotches, a crazy historic one like Lagavulin, and they're going to put this dude's face on it. Um, based off of like one of his characters from a TV show. I just, when I first saw this, I was like, "This is fake. This is some made-up shit that somebody's, you know, somebody's created." And then when I saw it, it took me oh, like yeah, it no. took me seeing it on the shelf to be like, "Wow, this is really, really real." Yeah. No, he. So uh, Nick Offerman, kind of, uh, almost kind of portraying Ron Swanson. Uh, decided to, or you know, helped out with Lagavulin to to launch this this new series. Uh, I think it's going to become a regular thing, but we'll have to see. Uh, but right now, this one is an 11 year aged statement whiskey, um, and I love the quotes on the bottle because Lagavulin always has a quote on the front of their bottle. It's kind of their thing. So this one says, "I have traveled the world and sampled many attempts at pleasing nectars, but it is solely this distillation of Isla." a tiny charismatic Scottish Isle that has claimed my palate. Yeah, and my heart into the bargain. Sounds like something someone said drunk. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, Scottish poem. So he kind of, uh, you know, kind of gives this whole story about Lagavulin in My Tales of the Whiskey on on on, um, YouTube. Really funny. If if you watch those four videos, they're absolutely hysterical. Uh, You can watch them on his YouTube channel. So, like I said, let's get back to this whiskey. It's uh, 11 years old. Uh, Regular retail price is about $75 to $80, depending on where you are. Yeah, it's like $110 here. It's expensive. For the bottle I have, for sure. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Scott, have we drank Lagavulin before on the show? The regular, like, 16? We have. We've, we've had Lagavulin 16, and I don't know if we've had the Distiller's Edition. The one that's aged in sherry I, I think, for some reason, I feel like we just had the 16. Um, well, I think we did. Oh, I think we've had don't that. They make a, don't they make a 12 that's a higher proof, almost like a cast strength? Yeah, so... 12 is their cast strength, and then 8 is their, um, that was their 200th anniversary where they did it more of a, 
a younger whiskey, but it was it was bottled at a different proof, and it kind of mirrors one of the first whiskeys they ever made uh, back in uh, 18, 1816. Mm. So uh, interesting. This one is aged in both uh, refill American oak, so refill bourbon barrels, and then rejuvenated bar- uh, bourbon barrels, which means they they toast those. After they've been sent over to them, so they, re, uh, they rechar them a little bit. Yeah, they rechar them a little bit, toast them up a little bit, and then send and then put the distillate in there. So let's uh, let's crack this bottle. Uh, this uh, doesn't look, look like it's been in there in the barrel that long. It's not real dark. Well, if it's we a, learned anything from the whiskey advent calendar, that color does not amount to flavor. Yeah, no, so but I mean, you can tell it's got some age. I mean, eleven years is not it's not yeah. bad. But like we always talk about, no, yeah. eleven years for Scotch does not lend color like eleven years for bourbon. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, fuck it. No, and I, I would, I would call this, um, a gold. You know, honey since I got gold. called out before the show, a little bit. I'm just going to show you. I'll put the whole fucking thing in there. <laughs> there you go. So, not pussing around tonight. Feeling good. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's this is golden, right? It's, it's above. It's above straw. Not not amber, but it's kind of got that golden, real gold tint to it. It's you get that you get that peat right there. But I mean, it's not the really overpowering. And that's like uh, Scott. You and I had a conversation about my has you know my peated well, peated whiskeys. It's just you know it's a like art bag man that's just like eating fucking charcoal can't do it's it it's not that bad you get mouth up by bad. a charcoal I, gotta, yeah, I, gotta, I haven't I honestly haven't had that so uh, I was told well, I was told by uh, was, it, was it Tim or Adam yeah. that I'm, apparently I'm not drinking the right art bag there's different ones and some yes, of them are not as bad as others but I if you like if you like this I would try art bag Anoa it's okay. more of a it's a sherry finished uh, art bag Really, really good, and it's still, still peated, still very peated, but much better. I get some, I get butterscotch on this when I, when I take a good whiff. Yeah, I mean, look, the the peat is 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 going to be heavy on the nose. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, so qu- quick question to interrupt: Do we know was this an American only release? America only release? Because I mean, it's not, it's not even on their yes. website. Yeah, from what I understand, uh, yeah. it's only released over here because. They, nobody so, knows what uh, like Parks and Rec is even. Gives a shit. You know what, what Parks and Rec. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I mean, you know, like I mean, this one was, you know, because of the popular Parks and Rec was, I think, was they, they expected it to sell really well. You know, talk about the other celebrities that have done the bottles. I mean, I think I, I got a bottle of Wild Turkey Long Branch. That was what Wild Turkey did a collaboration with Matthew McConaughey. See, but see, I think yeah. I think that that was just my. McConaughey being a spokesperson, and that's like a lot. I mean, there's a lot of people that are just either spokesperson or invested in the brand. But I mean, this is someone's fucking face on a bottle. Yeah. And And, And he actually did have a role in this. He actually went to Isla, went to the distillery, and actually helped pick out the different cast and help them um, really pick out the wood that they're going to use. Because, no joke, joking aside. Ron Swanson did woodworking in, in on the show, if I correct, right? Yeah. If I recall, I, again, I didn't really watch a lot of Parks and Rec, but I do know about it. Um, Nick Offerman is actually a woodworker in his own spare time. He loves making things out of wood, so he actually went there 
to the distillery and help pick out the different woods they're going to use and di different barrels they're going to use and what char was going to do well and what char wasn't going to do well. And he actually really put some effort into this. It's the really man, cool. The, the man knows his shit then. And, I mean, as he, as he literally, his literal quote was, this created a smile across his face, a smile bigger than the one after I had the birth of my first kid. But then again, he doesn't have kids, so that doesn't mean much. Anybody else get peaches? I smell peaches. Peaches. Um, there is some. Got, like a light some, fruit. Like, yeah, orchard fruit. Yeah. Definitely. So uh, the the thing I noticed most about this one, after the peat, the peat is obviously up front, and you can't really but the, get away from it. But the more you the, the more you smell it, though, the 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 less the peat is mm -hmm. like the dominating smell, and the more you start picking up the because I, I yeah I just like blew into the glass lightly to get rid of some of the ethanol and. I'm picking up everything behind yeah. that. I mean, you definitely get a lot of vanilla mm -hmm. um, from the from the ex bourbon barrels, mm -hmm. and a lot of those orchard fruits, the, the, the simple ones that come across most Highland uh, or most Highland malts, mm -hmm. the yeah. apples, pears, uh, citrus, and then the one thing I really like about this one is it's got a nice malty flavor to it, malty on the nose. Yeah, you uh, get that what, you what get is, that little malt what, flavor in the background there. What did we call that brand? Uh, Juicy Barley. Yeah, Juicy Barley. So, you know, it's crazy out. We always talk about it. When you <clears throat> fucking look at a review and you see things on paper that you didn't smell the first smell, but then when you go back to the glass, they're, they're there. So I want to mm -hmm. read y'all this review and then smell this. Okay. Smell it in the glass. And some of these are there. Some of these are not. So, <clears throat> surprisingly off-putting quality that folds in notes of smoked fish, wet wet horse saddle. If, uh, with time in the glass, the nose really brings out a clear note of cigarette butt, <laughs> but classic fruit, fruit, no. vanilla, spice notes of Lagavulin 16 and older expressions are, uh, are simply and exclusively absent. So this person said it's just totally different. Now, so smoked fish, wet horse saddle, Says creosote, cigarette butt, can, classic fruit, see. vanilla. So wet horse saddle, a hundred percent wet horse saddle. Yeah, I get, I can get that, I can get that wet, that wet leather smell out of there. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know about smoked leather. fish and creosote. No, I don't, I don't get wet fish, but I definitely get that. Now that you say it, like you get a, that's that wet leather in the background. Scott, it, you remember one of the first episodes when we had McAllen double cask, and I said it was like fine automotive, right. like you know Ferrari leather, like or like yeah. King Ranch yeah. Ford King Ranch, like saddle leather, like it has kind of that that hmm. note in there. But I, the, the dude, I definitely, I definitely smell the leather. Un. Without a doubt, like classic fruit, like you said, peach, apple. I mean, those those fruits are are in there. Every time I put my yeah. nose up to it, it's like a different kind of fruit. Fruit. Oh yeah. Yeah, I get. I got. Uh, I get apricots, apples, peaches. All right. The more I the more I get into this, and the more I do smell that smoke. I I think what he's talking about is more like smoked salmon, smoked fish, like that. That's what he said. Fish. Yeah. It, Not like, like a. <clears throat> you know, like smoked mackerel. I just don't get a fishy smell. Oh, it's not fishy. It's it's not fishy at all. It's more of like a smoked meat. Um, and again, smoked mackerel is something that, that the Brits have for breakfast. And okay. it's quite delicious. Yeah, I'm not a massive smoke, smoked Smokes. fish. But... 
Smoked salmon's good. I mean. Alright. Um, let, me, let me write down <clears> what it is here. Hold on. Smells pretty damn good. The longer it sits in the glass, the more the, the, the flavor is kind of. Yeah, it starts, starts kind up. of peeling off some of the ethanol. And... So, who, so yeah, Scott, you, you, peeling off the you got the bottle. What's the proof on this? It is 46%. 46%. So not high, not low, but honestly a good proof for scotch, I think. All right, let's get into this one. See, there I get the smoked fish. When I take that drink, I'm getting that on the back. Um, I get the, I get, I get it, I get the taste. I didn't get the smell. I'm getting the taste, though. I'm kind of with you. There's something funky going on. It's different. So, on the palate here, the smoked fish, the smokiness comes right up front. It's obviously the first thing you taste. As it moves around your mouth, it, this is a rich caramel. A light vanilla, and then again these like roasted almonds, roasted walnuts, yeah. really shine on this one a lot, and I love that. I love like a nuttiness to um, to a good scotch. Well, the thing is too is like the the, the smoke doesn't hang around like the no. peat. So once you take that first sip, like you get those flavors, but that that peat comes in and goes. It doesn't hang around and like dominate everything else. Like that the art bag, man. When I had that, that's all I could taste. I couldn't taste anything else. This. Gives it to you and then it goes away. Uh, this is to me has got it's got a nutty, super woodsy, earthy. Like it's just got a very I don't know earthy. It has that kind of uh, juicy barley. Juicy barley, but it has it has almost I guess I'm almost like taste peat, but not like smoked peat, like grass. Like, like, it's fresh, like, like a fresh, yeah. like fresh peat, not, you know, it kind of tastes like, it kind of tastes like, like, you know how when you go, you go camping or something, you take a, find a piece of wood, you toss it on the fire, but it's got a little moss on it and like mm -hmm. the moss is dried out and that starts burning that moss off the, off that old dead wood. That's that, that, that they, I mean, I guess that could be a taste. That's what that, that's what I'm getting. Like a, like a mossy burnt wood. Yeah, there's definitely like a greenhouse flavor to it, almost like a damp earth. Not, um, not like wet, you know, wet earth, but like damp. Like yeah, like it, it almost like tastes like you're walking through a mossy forest. Um, and again, that the there is a little bit of leather note in the palate as well. It would, still lingers I, there too. Not as heavy. I agree. Um, I mean, overall, it's. I mean, it's like. It's clean. It's clean. Yeah, it's clean and and yeah. relatively light mouth. I mean, relatively like maybe yeah. light mouthfeel. Light mouthfeel, but uh, but uh, you know, as we transition to the finish here, it's actually a long finish. It stays with you for quite some time. Like it's got some good sweet notes on the finish too. Obviously, again. Smoke is going to be the first note you get on the finish. It's not super but oily it, though, so it doesn't like. It, no, it, it got it has a, a a good finish, but it doesn't it doesn't hang around unnecessarily. Like you could take you could it, drink something else right after, you know, a little right after this, and be able to taste that. And it's not going to you know 
It doesn't Hang say on. no chill filtered on it, but I kind of think it might be because it doesn't have that oiliness to it. Mm -hmm. And it's and the legs on the glass too. They're just hanging in yeah. there, slow, slow moving. It's 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 kind of hard to to tell whether this is um, no chill filtered or not because it just doesn't have that oiliness that I expect from a, a smoky peated whiskey. Like when you drink Laphroaig. Laphroaig is not, it, it, it's got that really rich, oily flavor to it. Um, this one, for some reason, doesn't have that. I'm not sure if that's by design or if that's just the proof that they've watered it down to, but. I, I mean, I really like it. It's got a good, medium feel body, a good, you know, rich, fruity. You know, and that's the nice thing, is it really pairs the fruit and the smoke nicely like perfectly yeah. yeah there's somebody that you know is like you know like me like just now getting into the like the peated whiskeys and the the scotches like that like this is a good intro one this is the one you'd want to kind of ease somebody into peated whiskeys because it's, it's got it in there but it's not the only thing in that glass like you get a lot more so only the only uh, thing that would make me, would make me nervous about that is it doesn't have the crazy, crazy peat, but this is way different to me than a lot of other islands I've tasted. It's just, it's super earthy. I just, I think it's just super earthy, which, I mean, Scott, especially from that, the the, the cast selections that we had, some of those, some of those oh, islands like, were, like were, the Calilla, were beautiful. I mean, beautiful, floral, yeah. big, robust, but this just is like very earthy. Yeah, no, it, it, it's it's definitely earthier. Um, the fruit note that I keep getting on the palate as I drink a little more of this is almost like apples with honey like drizzled on top of them. Yeah, almost get almost get a little little applesauce type. You get that sweetness yeah. in there, but I get that like little little applesauce on the, the back. The citrus, the the citrus to me kind of goes away on the palate and the finish. I don't really taste it. Maybe a little bit of lemon, but not like orange zest. Like some other uh, scotches that I've had, I get the I get the I get the the, the fruited the fruits like the the, the the apples and the apricots and the peaches. I get that on the front, but as a, as as the finish as it finishes off, that disappears fairly quick, and I get you know I get more of the butterscotch and the vanilla and the you know that woodsy that woodsy flavor really hangs on the back there. There's there's almost like a little sea salt spray. On the finish there at the end, yeah. Like as you as you finish it, it kind of lifts off your palate. Rather than like what one thing I usually get with Lagavulin is this like minty flavor on the end of it. This one to me has more of like a briny flavor, and I really like it. it kind of reminds you of Talisker. All right. Well, look, lots of tasty notes to digest there. Uh, we're gonna sit and drink some more of this, but as we do, let's get in some Bond talk. Now, you can't have a, a Bond film, obviously, you know, with the world's greatest super spy, without someone trying to do some maniacal plan to the world. I mean, it, there's got to be a villain. And Bond has met his share of 25, really, and we're going to stick to the main villains of the film, the, the bad guys, the guys that, that's or, uh, orchestrating the entire scheme to, you know, whether it's... Uh, steal Soviet missiles and attack the U.S. with them or, uh, 
blow up the uh, the Bank of England with a or radio radiate the Bank of England with an EMP up in the upper atmosphere. These guys want to do something bad to the world for their own personal gain. So let's let's savor in these uh, these Bond villains with our very own top five Bond villains of all time. So we're each going to go five through one. Uh, I, I was going to say. I was gonna say since I'm I'm not the villain the villain pro, I would kind of play judge and ask some follow ups after you guys go through your your top your top five like teach teach me why this is the best villain villain kind of kind of way so if you want to lead back lead back into it. All right, so we'll we'll do that. Um, so look as we as we talk a little bit about Bond here. Uh, Chris, you and I are going to go through our top five Bond, fil- Bond villains of all time. Okay, uh, cool. we'll, we'll go through them five to one. Brant, uh, since you're not you know, up to speed on every Bond villain of all time, we're going to sit here and convince you which b- five Bond films you need to watch and for what reason for their yeah. villains. Awesome, so, yeah, because let, let's give you I'm the best. probably only a very modern Bond villain, so it's definitely the old school, old school ones I'm not up to speed. So, yeah, and then, of course, I don't have endless amount of time to watch movies so if you guys could just narrow this down to the, the couple best best <laughs> villains I could just yeah, exactly. I can go seek yeah. this out especially with my my wife's going right. to be gone Summon, gone next Summon. week into princess races so I'll have princess. tons of bond bond time so well then you have so tons of bond time so hit me up with, with number number five whichever you guys want to go alright Chris you're the guest yeah, Chris, why don't you go first yeah you're All the right. guest my so my number five is might have to go with Doctor No, or Julius No. I mean, he, he was a good he was a good villain, but I mean, he's a he was a one off. Like I mean, there's there's a few Bond villains throughout the movies that kind of transitioned into other movies, but out of the out of the top five I picked, I'm just gonna go with him. He had the one movie. He was good, challenging. You know, but... you know what I like about Doctor No is one, it's. Uh... Obviously, it's the first Bond film, and Sean Connery does an mm-hmm. amazing job in it. But you don't see the bad guy until the very final act of the film. You don't yeah. even know what he looks like. He's just this terrifying menace that has yeah. a dragon on this, you know, made-up island in the Caribbean that everyone's afraid to go to because there's a dragon there. I mean, he's he's quite creative in his uh, in his Bond approach. I mean, he's got his evil lair. He's got. Uh, plans to steal uh, Soviet missiles, um, yeah. yeah, or Soviet rockets. I think it was right. Yeah, it was the rockets. Yeah, yeah. it was rockets. Yeah. And then what they were doing was they were basically pitting the Soviets against NATO and trying to extort NATO and saying, "Look, if you don't agree to this, we're gonna, uh, you know, we're gonna release these rockets on you, and then World War Three is gonna break out, and you know, all hell is gonna break loose." That's it's a very good cl- plot. Classic villain, you know, so- villain plot there right there you just you know pit the pit the good the both sides against each other and play the middle and try to so how does how does bond defeat him because obviously we know fucking the end of the story has to be that he gets defeated right so uh one of the things is that this is um this is very much the radioactive uh era where you know radiation is still kind of like new and scary to everybody Mm -hmm. uh ultimately what happens is um He's in prison, and then he, he escapes, cra- uh, crawls through an air vent, and then the nuke. Oh yeah, that's right. The nuclear reactor 
He overloads it and then knocks Dr. No into the reactor pool, uh, which kills him. Yeah. So, Doc, Dr. No is also, he's one of the reasons I picked, to, picked him, is he also, he's also a member of Spectre. Mm-hmm. And that leads up to another one of the characters. So, why so. does it, is there ever a reason why the name is Dr. No? His name was Julius No. That was just his name. Yeah, his literal, his literal, the, the fictional character's name was Julius No. So, they just, he's Dr. Julius No. Alright. So. Yeah. Alright. Scott, Scott, you uh, know, anything else, Trossel? No, that's pretty much it. I mean, I like the character and I like his tie into Spectre, so that's why he was my number number five. So, uh, you know, this is, is this was kind of a hard one because a lot of people love this love this character, and even in the last episode that we did, I said he was one of my favorite Bond villains, and I think he's one of my favorite Bond villains from the new series just because of the person that portrays him. That's Christoph Waltz. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna have to go with. Ernst Stafro Blofeld. I, I think as your number five. As my number five, and I've got good reasons for that. I think the the one issue I have with Blofeld is there's some great Blofelds like uh, Anthony Dawson from Rush with Love and Thunderball, where you don't actually see him. He's never on screen. You, see you the just cat. see the back of it. Yeah, you see the back of his head. You see his hands. You see the cat, and he's got this you know evil voice. That mm-hmm. basically pushes buttons and kills people. Yep. It's not until we get to what, which I think is one of the better Blofelds, and that's Donald Pleasance's uh, version in "You Only Live Twice," mm-hmm. where it's got the you know the disfigured face and uh, essentially what Doctor Evil from Austin Powers is modeled after. Um, and there's some other good ones. Telly Savalas from Honor Majesty's Secret Service. He's kind of this. Uh, rich playboy now all of a sudden because he got some uh, plastic surgeries he's trying to have a noble title he's also trying to uh, uh, enslave the world through uh, hypnosis and then we get some bad ones Charles Gray Uh, yeah he's campy he god you know the problem with Charles Gray is he's cheesy he's so campy and it's so 70s he dresses in drag I just I can't get behind this, and I've I've nope. never really loved Diamonds Are Forever for a number of reasons. One, I don't like Jill St. John. Um, Tiffany Case is not a favorite uh, Bond girl of mine. Charles Gray's do- uh, Blofeld is just not that good. Um, Christoph and then you get Waltz Christoph is definitely Waltz. he's definitely my he's definitely my favorite Blofeld of them. Mm-hmm. He's just oh, yeah. his well, I mean, I just love his his acting chops. He can play anybody. He can play a comedian. He can play a villain. He can play like and it was a. He was in Django Unchained. Mm-hmm. I and mean, he was great in that. He was. He was. He was a comedian. He was serious. Inglorious. Ba- Inglorious. Action. Bastards. He could, yes. Yeah. Yes. Like he. He can play. He can do all those roles. Like he. He, he could cover the gambits. And he was like the perfect Blofeld because, if you think about it, over the course of the movies and all the different actors that plays Blofeld, he kind of, Christoph Waltz kind of had a little bit of each of them. He kind of yeah. had a little bit of the personality of all of them. Well, I, he, you know, what I liked about his his character in that film, and, and this is why he makes number five for me, just because the offset between Donald Pleasance, um, Christoph Waltz, and Charles Gray, th- I think this one is really good because he's, 
he's calculated. Mm-hmm. Um, he's clearly evil, but he's also maniacal. I mean, he's he's crazy. The torture scene where he he drills into Bond's head with these fine gauge drill bits, it's hard to watch. It is it is like cringeworthy when the, the needle goes into Bond's temple and you can only imagine the pain that that thing is causing. Yeah, I mean, to me, the, the more... There, the he fer- sits there and loves it. The more nefarious part, I think, this, the, his, not even that part, was like when he was uh, explaining to Bond how he basically fucked up Bond's entire life. Like, he's like, I, yeah. you have been my bitch your entire life. Like, Yeah, I, I'm the master I kill, of all your parents. I, ki- I killed your parents. I killed this. I killed... You know, I killed her. I killed him. I did this. Like he basically, like, you, you, he basically explained to Bond, "You've been my bitch for years." Mm-hmm. How does it feel? And it's it'll like, be interesting to see how he gets portrayed in No Time to Die, because uh, he's in custody. Yeah. So we'll see how they have. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming. In custody, but, you know. I'm assu- I was going to say I'm assuming that he gets out of custody because uh, what what better way to reinvigorate the new Bond with uh, with a great villain? Blofeld's the villain just won't die, so... Yeah. I mean, he has been in, what, six films or seven films? I think it'd be seven. Eight, nine. Nine now. Nine? Oh, wow. Eight, if you don't count Never Say Never Again, which is just Thunderball all over again. Yeah, same same fucking movie. Yeah. All right. right. Number four. You're up for number four. I'm going to go with uh, Goldfinger. Goldfinger will be number number four. That's your number four? Yeah, I like him. I think I thought that I was one of my I was one of my like the first Bond movies I ever watched. I just I liked Goldfinger. I thought he was a he was a quirky character. Like he he was evil but friendly. You know, like you got you mean like you know when he had Bond out of the stud farm. Like he's like, oh, let me make you a drink. Let's hang out. You know, I'll kill you. Kind of thing. Like it was just yeah. His he's evil. His yeah. His quirky little back and forth thing. I mean, I, I just. The whole movie, I really just enjoyed it. So he's he's one of my. I mean, my he favorites. was ready to split. He was ready to split Bond in half with a laser. Yeah. Well, that's happened on how many movies? He's been almost been split in half by a laser. Though Blofeld's done it. You know. That's such a that's such a great scene too. I mean, it, it literally is probably one of the top ten movie quotes of all time. When he's like, "Do you expect me to talk?" No, Mister Bond. I expect so you to die. Yeah. It's just. And I just—I mean—I like the whole, that whole thing, you know, the you know the Fort Knox and just the that whole movie. I, I just enjoy it. So. Uh, it's top film of all time. Yep. That's for me. All right, uh, number four for me is going to be a little bit of a surprise, and I—I I think the movie is a little bit campy. It fits the time period. I think it's like 2000, maybe 1999. Mm-hmm. And that's Electra King from The World Is Not Enough. Okay. So she's actually the only Bond villainess. Yes. She was... She. And that's the only movie I could not figure out who the fuck it was until, you know... You don't know, you don't you know, don't know. she's the architect behind all this until the yeah. very end. Yeah. And that's what, a, what, a, what I love about her is she uses every tool in the book. She seduces Bond. She, she gets over on M. Bad guy. Yeah, she gets over on M. M trusts her. Mm-hmm. She kills her own father. I yep. mean, this is one bad bitch. Yep. I mean, she is. She's tried to orchestrate her. She orchestrates her own kidnapping, then her hostage release, 
Then she orchestrates her father's death. Then she tries to orchestrate her own destruction of her own company. All to essentially what she wants to do is eventually blow up Istanbul and basically create a, a monopoly on oil in the West. It is a brilliant plan. And honestly, there's nothing sexier than Sophie Marceau. That's true. I mean, she is that, gorgeous. That accent. Yeah, well, that too. Yeah, she's about the only redeeming quality. I'm, I'm not a, I am not a Pierce Brosnan fan at all. Those, I, those Bond movies were my least favorite of all of them because if you ever read anything about Ian Fleming or his books at all, he was the furthest from Bond that there was. So I just, I, can't, I couldn't get into Pierce Brosnan. I like, I like the, the villains. I just I I couldn't get into Pierce Brosnan being Bond, so I'm biased against those si- sets of movies. Not to sidetrack on that, but I do think that Brosnan films do justice for their time period. Until yeah. you get to die another day, and that's uh, a whole other story. That's, that's fair, but I just... Yeah. yeah. All right, your number three. Number three <laughs> is going to be Jaws. What? I he's love... A, I love. He's a henchman. But he, he plays... I mean, he plays a pretty big villain role. I mean, I just love... I love that actor as a person. You know, he's been in, like, Happy Gilmore. And, mm-hmm. you know, and he's been in several Bond movies. He's been in, like, Moonraker, Spy Who Loved Me. You know, just... All of the... He was only in the Roger Moore films. I mean, he's been he's been electrocuted. He's been kicked out of aircrafts. He's been... You know, he was... What he, he finally what he finally met his demise on the space station in Moonraker, right? Yep. Yeah, so I mean, like, I just, I mean, I think he's just, everybody, if you ask about anything about Bond, like, everybody played, what, 007 Goldeneye growing up on N64? Oh, uh, yeah. Everybody loved Jaws, you know, the Jaws character. Although you didn't want to be him because he was so giant. Yeah, but I mean, you put it in, yeah, but I mean, that's just, you know, if you ask anybody about, like, a Bond villain or a Bond henchman, Jaws is going to pop up, so I just... I always enjoyed his character because he never said anything. Never said okay. a damn thing. No, no. He, but he would uh, fuck up mm, Bond. He had one line in Moonraker, I want to say, towards the end. At the end, yeah, right before he died. Yeah. That's yeah. it. And that was he, he wasn't even speaking to Bond. He was talking to the the girl he fell in love with or whatever. It was yeah. that, that whole Frankenstein thing he had going on mm-hmm. there. Where they drink Bollinger. Yep. And he pops the cork with his mouth. Yep. Um... All right, so my number three, I, I think this this is where it got hard for me because I think these are the three top villains of all time. But number three for me is uh, Francisco Scaramanga from The Man with the Golden Gun. Christopher uh, Lee. First of all, p- played by Christopher Lee, he is a great villain. You know, from uh, Count Dooku to uh, Lord of the Rings. Dracula. I mean, Dracula. He is a <laughs> he's a fan freaking tastic villain. Yeah, he just um, he's. He's one of my favorite actors of all time. He, he's just, just he can he can do it all. I mean, it's just it's an amazing character because he's basically like the world's greatest assassin, mm-hmm. uh, and essentially, he only he basically only takes one shot every time he goes on a job. He gets one shot because his gun only holds one bullet, and it, it's just a fantastic, uh, fantastic villain. I mean, he is evil. He lives on his own island in the. In the China Sea, I think it. Yeah, I think it's in. Mm-hmm. It's actually in. Technically, it's in Thailand. I think is where they actually filmed that because they couldn't film in China. 
but it's off the coast of Thailand is where they actually film it. But yeah, yeah. he's a he's a fantastic uh, villain, really, really good villain. And his little plot to um, use the sun to kind of incinerate the earth, you know, outstanding, outstanding uh, so, plot first time. <laughs> I'm yeah. digging through digging through or following along with you guys just at like the, the Wikipedia mm-hmm. notes for the villain. It says Bond retrieves the avid. Agitator for MI6 and defeats Scaramanga in Mortal Kombat. What what the hell was that all? Yep. <laughs> so so, uh, go ahead. Scaramanga had you know he had his the little um the private island, and to basically I guess keep his chops up, his killing chops. He had he would have people brought to the island to attempt to kill him. Like it was like they he, they knew they were going to do that. He knew they were coming. Like they basically, if they won, they got paid. But he had this whole like funhouse thing that he would do, like yeah. And they they have assassin, yeah. This assassin would come in, they'd start off in this like gym area, and then the lights would go out, and like they'd go through this door, and basically it was like a he would hunt them in his little funhouse, and they'd have to find him before he found them, kind of thing. And they had Knickknack was his little henchman. Little the guy from um, Paradise Lost or something? Paradise, Paradise Island? Yeah, um, yeah, Paradise Island. He would, uh, he would like run the controls and stuff, and turn fog machines on, and move mirrors and all that. He would, but Scaramanga would have his golden gun in the middle of this funhouse, and so the Scaramanga would have to get to his golden gun and kill this guy before this guy got to him and killed him. And that was like he, how he did it, and that's how um, him and Bond went at it. Yeah. It's again a great final scene, and honestly, one of I think it's one of Roger Moore's best films, only because it, you know he he goes through the film. And he's he's super campy, uh, but it works out perfectly. I love the scene with the belly dancer and the bullet in her, uh, oh, in her belly button. Her lucky charm. Yeah, her lucky charm, and he sucks it out. Yeah, that was. Good stuff. All right, your number two. My number two is Scaramanga. That was my number two. So oh yeah. That was that. He's my number two. I love. Yeah, I just yeah, love Christopher Lee as an actor, and it's that 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 movie was one of my one of my favorites. Yeah, it it's it, you know a great film, really good film. Um. Okay, so number two for me. Um, and I really, I went back and watched this over or last weekend, uh, and I think to me it's it's my favorite James Bond film of all time, and that's Skyfall. And I got to go with Raul Silva. He is just, just he is just a sadistic, and, and honestly, the you know everybody loved the Joker, and loved that movie, and how all of a sudden Joker became really a mental a mental patient escaped and he's got all these mental issues quite frankly that is Silva Silva is a an absolutely insane person who holds this grudge against M and somehow Bond becomes in, entwined with it you know either for his duty to country and, and to M or because you know they're they're both former uh, S, uh, Secret Service agents I just I can't stand I cannot stand Javier Bardem I can't stand him I think he's creepy as fuck. He plays the same creepy fuck in every movie, and I cannot stand him. So, like, I love Skyfall. I loved the movie, but him, 
I could I could have gone the whole movie without him actually being. He could have been one of the villains I could stand not to see. Like you only know, hear him talk and don't actually see him. That I could have dealt with him in like a Doctor No capacity, but I just. No, see, I really, I really liked him. Um, like looking back and watching it over and over again, and I've probably seen Skyfall close to fifty to seventy-five times. No joke. And I, I really just like his his, just really just crazy side. I, and I and he's also right, a me- he's member of Spectre, so that. Yep. Again, it all comes around. I, I think Brent and I. I don't think we talked about this scene when he's got Bond in the chair and he's like. Uh, yes. He's kind of like, you know, teasing him, and he's like, Bond's, you know, he's like, what do you, you know, you're trying to remember your training for this, and uh, what's the protocol? And he's like, what do you, what makes you think this is my first time? And it's just, it's just love the little cheek between the yeah. two of them. I don't know. Every time you say Bond in a chair, I think about him being tied to that chair in um, Casino Royale and getting freaking whacked by that rope. <laughs> yeah. Oh my oh, god. What he says to Lashif, <laughs> now the whole world's gonna know you died scratching my balls. balls yeah. I just, Great. but just every time he swings that rope, oh my god, it just, mm-hmm. it hurts me right now, but, yeah, I mean, Skyfall is a great movie, it really was, but I just, I cannot stand him. Uh, see, to me, I think a, it's, as an actor. I think it's my favorite Bond film, and again, you know, with the Academy Awards uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Roger Deakins was the film, uh, was the cinematographer on that one, along with Sam Mendes, who, quite frankly, should have won for 1917. Neither here nor there. Great film. Love Silva. Love the, the plot. And, you know, it's not often... We, you know, most of the Bond villains are coming after Bond. This one was going after M. Plus, great, that great scene when, when M is driving in the car and she's like, Oh, are you going to eject me? <laughs> and he's like, think, he's kind of like, yeah, thinking about it. <laughs> All right, what's your number one, Chris? My number finish one. finish up this Lagavulin 11. Mine is going to be... My number one's got to be Blofeld. I just the I mean like we talked about it already. He just he's one of those characters. He transcends. He goes through. He's he's in, he's got his hand in almost every Bond movie in some way or another. Because half these Bond villains, you read you know you read about them, their affiliation or whatever. They're members of Spectre, and Blofeld's the head of Spectre. It's like every villain that Bond's ever encountered has been part of Spectre, which Blofeld has been a part of, and he's been you know in and out of the different movies. I just. He connects all of it, and then when you see Spectre, the movie, and Christoph Waltz is explaining, I mean, when you think about it, he's literally explaining every Bond movie ever made, that how he's had an instrument, you could think about it, like how he's described, how he's had a hand in Bond's, destroying Bond's life. That, mm-hmm. that speech transitions to every old Bond movie there was, because that's what Blofeld did. He was in the background orchestrating you know, you know, things just screw with Bond. So I just well, yeah. I mean, he's the. I mean, this is the. This is where you get kind of this evil organization that that really uh, gets put into all these different films. After that, I mean, you know, an evil organization where there's a front man and then all of these henchmen that go out on his behalf. Uh, I mean, you're right. Look, I like Blofeld. I think I think he's a great villain, and I, I'm glad that. They've redone it because the last time we saw Blofeld was, I think, in uh, maybe uh, not Living Day. Yeah, I think it was uh, License to Kill. I think it was in uh, 80s. Um, but it, it's good to see 
him back as as the, the the head of Spectre, and it's good to see Spectre back because we you know we lost Spectre really from I don't know from uh, OMS on or no Diamonds Are Forever so 1971 on really there was no Spectre because I mean he was kind of in for your eyes only but not part of it and the, the organization wasn't really part of it mm-hmm. so it's nice to see that back alright uh, we already talked about your my number one uh, Goldfinger Goldfinger is just <laughs> the most the greatest Bond film I mean he is uh, he's the bo- greatest Bond villain because one he is one of the world's wealthiest men already okay he smuggles gold he has a Rolls Royce Phantom that is made out of gold. He owns a golf club, challenges Bond to a golf match. That golf match is one of the best scenes of all time. And when Bond tricks him into uh, into cheating and and kind of fools him and basically you know catches him doing it and, and just really turns the tables on him. Mm-hmm. And the the sadistic nature of uh, of Goldfinger. Sh- I mean. When when they're in uh, Fort Knox and shit hits the fan, what does what does our Goldfinger do? Turns his coat inside out, puts on on an army uniform, and shoots his own men. And then shoots right, shoots his way out. And shoots his way out, and eventually does. He actually gets out of that. And finally, I mean, finally, he shoots his way out of an airplane. But yeah, yeah sucks for him. <laughs> but you know what I really liked about that is the character takes a lot of different um, uh, different aspects of the James Bond villain novels. So he's got a little bit of uh, Hugo Drax in him from, uh, from Moonraker in the, in the novel where they play bridge and Drax cheats at bridge where it, that's exactly what, uh, what Goldfinger was doing. So, you know, why does this man need to, uh, need to blow up the, or irradiate the world supply of gold or the U.S. supply of gold to make his gold more valuable and make more money for himself mm-hmm. because he can because he's one of the world's richest men and why not and do what he want mm-hmm. yep. alright so Brant yes so <clears throat> some of these some, some of the ones y'all talked about for sure I was, uh, was familiar with obviously the modern ones so before I go into which ones I, I, I'm most interested in of the new series Casino Royale on the best, the best. Who's the best villain? Or rank, rank those villains. Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, Skyfall, Spectre. I'm gonna okay. go with Blofeld first. Christoph Waltz is gonna be the, out of those new ones. That one, and then I think my second one has gotta be. I'm gonna go with Lashif. I like Lashif. I thought he was, thought it was good. Um, Javier Bardem and. His creepy ass is gonna be at the bottom of my list. <laughs> I mean, I just don't like. I just don't the only like other him. one is Dominic Green, who is kind of, eh. yeah, yeah. Dom- See, Dominic Green, I don't even think makes the list. I, I think he was, again, I like, I like some aspects of Quantum. Quantum is co- sort of that film that just is there, and mm-hmm. it's a Bond film, and it's nice to have, and it's got a, it's got a halfway decent plot, but there's too much like. Too much of the the political we need oil banter that probably should have happened in the early '90s rather than uh, 2002 or 2003, whatever yeah. it was. Um. Uh, so I would go for me. I would go uh, number one would be Silva, 
two is Blofeld, three is Lashif, four is Domino Green. Although I really think Lashif is just an evil motherfucker. Yeah. Problem was Lashif was controlled by someone else, and that's that's the only reason why I put Blofeld over Lashif is because at the end of the day, you know, Mr. White kills Lashif. Bond doesn't even kill Lashif. Mr. White right. does. Yeah. Yeah. And Mr. Spoiler White. <laughs> Mr. White's one of those. Yeah, he's one of those. Not really sure what side of the fence he sits on, kind of people until I, I, Spectre. I think, I think he was supposed to be more of the bad guy, the the head of Spectre, but then they realized, well, we can't put the head of Spectre in, you know, going out and shooting people. He's more of just like the number, you know, one of the other henchmen. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's one of those characters that got a lot of attention but didn't get a lot of attention like he got it and then all of a sudden he just kind of disappeared but he popped up to connect the dots and some of the other movies yeah, yeah. so so, right. so I, Brent. for me the, the new ones the the one that sticks sticks out is Silva and Scott we talked about it. the scene where he pulls his freaking jaw out like that's yeah. just super super creepy and the and the marksman the marksmanship scene with the old the old pistols uh, I think yeah it, it's a great it's a scene. great scene but Anyway, so, I mean, looking back, I 100% um, have to go watch Man with the Golden Gun. Um, that just, oh, yeah, you that do. That just sounds, one of my sounds right up my alley, for sure. Uh, so, Scaramanga, for sure, and then um, Goldfinger. I mean, those those two definitely, um, from what you guys talked about, seem like the two most most interesting of the, uh, the older series. The older series. And then... Chris, so, uh, so who was the first villain? Was Doctor No the first villain? Yes, Doctor No was the first villain. In the film version, Doctor No is the first okay. villain. Yep. In the books, Lashif is. Yeah, yeah. So Doctor No was the first villain, and was that 1962? 1962. Yep. So yeah, he was the he was the first one, and you know, the first he was the first villain of. The Bond films, and you know, for one of the best Bonds, in my opinion, mm-hmm. Sean Connery. Yeah. Oh, I thought we were talking about Lashif and Daniel Craig. No, I'm talking about I'm talking about Sean Connery being one of the best Bonds. Oh, I, yeah, we that's a debate for a whole another day. <laughs> honestly, honestly, it's one A one B. I think they're both phenomenal. They are both perfect for the role. If I had to pick, if I had to pick a top two, I'd go with I'd go with Connery and Craig. Be my top, oh yeah, absolutely. And and for me, it's Craig Connery. I, I do like Connery a lot. And mm-hmm. for for you know, prior to Daniel Craig's third film, prior to Skyfall, it was always it was still Sean Connery. But Skyfall puts uh, Craig uh, Craig over the top, and Spectre even does it more. And I honestly am really really excited for everything about No Time to Die, except the title track. Really not looking forward to that. Who sings that? Billie Eilish. Mm-hmm. That little fucking teenage green-haired turd. Yep. Oh god. Man, give me a give me a Dell and leave it alone. Now look, I will say as as we you know first of all we're gonna wrap up the episode tonight because uh, we'll have to drink another this bourbon in another night because we've already gone to an hour on a short pour. <laughs> um, I was skeptical about Sam Smith's song when I first heard it, mm-hmm. and the more I hear it. I'm not gonna lie, I kinda like it better than Adele. 
I Adele, really, Adele's really... just got that voice, man. She's got that that, I know that she Bond, does. that Bond Oh no, it's, it's Shirley Bassey. That yeah. and that's the problem. I, that's the problem. I, even Sam Smith's voice is pretty big and bold. Yeah. The problem I have with Billie Eilish is she is soft-spoken and a whisperer. Oh, I just I don't that. see that working that. for this. Hey, so what? But what about the villain, Remy Malik? I'm excited for this. Yeah. I he's got that look. He's got that, that villain look. Just, I'm honest. I, yeah. You know who? You know who? I would. I would prefer him. I would prefer Remy Malik in Bart Javier Bardem's role. I would have him. Oh, maybe. And that role, I think, would have been better in my opinion. But Remy Malik, he's he's another one of those actors that just he can do it. He's like he's a Christoph Waltz. He can do it all. Like he's what it's he, gonna he be. did. He was he who was he? Freddie Freddie Mercury yeah. and Freddie yeah. Mercury. Yeah, he won an that. Oscar for it. Yeah, he won an Oscar for that. He's been. I mean, uh, no, no offense to some of the great actors of all time, but how many actors win an Oscar and then go do a Bond film? Right. Like Christopher Lee did his Bond film before he won any Oscar. He didn't win his Oscar until uh, Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah. So honestly, it, it's kind of cool to see an Oscar winner come to a Bond film and say, I want to do this. And I think that's validating the series. You know, for a long time it was, you know, they they pumped out Bond films like they were, you know, Avenger movies. Especially when they especially when they got into the, the Brosnan times. You had, um, I'm looking at the timeline here, you got 97, 99, 2002, 2006. I mean, they just... Well, I mean, in Sean Connery's era, it was 62, 63, 64, 65, and then they took a little bit of a break because Sean Connery had, had needed some time off. Yeah, you got, you got they, 62, 64, then took two years off and went to 67, 69, 71. Mm-hmm. So it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But All right, um, Brant, of the villains we chose, which one are you most excited to watch? Um, golden, golden Gun. I mean, The Golden Gun. Was it? Man of the Golden yeah. Gun? Yeah. It's a real, yeah. it's an underrated Bond film. I think it gets lost in the shuffle. Well, it's, it's such it's, a good film. It's not as action-packed as your typical Bond film, though. There's a no, lot. It's, it's got a story. Yeah, it's got a story. There's a big storyline to it. There's, there's, there's a, it's a, there's an actual build-up to the end of the movie. It's not like just action-packed the whole way. Like they build a story up to the end, and then there's actually a good yeah. ending to it. I like it. So what, awesome. what about this? The final ratings on this whiskey as I'm down to my last. Final number last on the Lagavulin sip. 11. Yeah, last sips of this. Um, not going to lie, this is going to be up there for me. I really enjoy this one. I think it, this is a perfect blend of Isla meets Highland. It's smoky yet fruity. Uh, bold, but also, you know, kind of passive it's not gonna it's not kicking in your teeth but it's gonna provide you a nice dram that you're gonna enjoy and look forward to taking the next sip so um i'll start this one off with an 89 i really do think it's that good 89 okay that's yeah that's a bit pretty high up there that is yeah um i'm i'm not gonna be as um easy on it and I'm like I said I'm still kind of getting into the Isla but um, it's an 84 for me 
And I think it's because, like I said, it's extremely earthy and I feel it to be kind of great on the nose, but just lacking the, the, that fruit and that like brightness on the, the palate. So I'm not, not giving it as high of a, a score. Chris. I can see that. Um, you know, still I'm still easing into the the peated the peated scotch and whiskeys and everything like that. But this one, like like I said earlier, like if you're gonna do an intro scotch for somebody, a peated scotch for somebody, this would probably be the one I would pull off the shelf and be like, all right, this is what you need to try. Um, I'm gonna give it an 88 in my book. I mean, this is one of those ones that I mean. If I can, if I can grab it for a decent price, I wouldn't mind grabbing when I run out and keeping one on the shelf. Brent, now what did you say you paid for this? I think nine hundred bucks. Yeah, we, uh, Chris and I got lucky on this one because I found it near me for fifty nine. Jesus. Yeah. That's and, why and I, honestly, and I think that's why it ranks so high for me. If, if this was a hundred dollars, I don't think I would love it as much. But at sixty bucks, it is absolutely worth every single penny. That's why. That's why when you told me what you got it for, and I saw what it was selling for, and the, sto- the total wine down here it was a one hundred nine ninety five, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I paid fifty something. I think I'll <laughs> I think I'll have Scott yeah. just mule it to me from. <laughs> and and that's that's really where it comes down to. I mean, it it honestly should be a fifty to seventy five dollar bottle. I actually, I just looked at, at it. I had a tag on it. Still, I paid seventy seven. So not. Oh, okay. okay, that's not so yeah, bad. That's, that's not bad at all. Then. No, I mean that's. I'm that, waiting for it to just it become be. unavailable and go for 770, and then I'll, I'll flip it to the first <laughs> sucker that wants it. That's why I'm hanging on. That's why I'm hanging on to those gimmicky Game of Thrones bottles that yeah. I have. I haven't I haven't cracked any of those yet because I'm just waiting for the one sucker to go. I need this one. I'll pay 500 bucks for it and sold. I honestly have not yet tried any of them, and quite honestly, like I. I have tried every brand that has a Game of Thrones, yeah. and what it seems like, they put out an inferior product with a label that appeases the fandom. It was a gimmick, um, yeah. And I will gladly take most of the label's regular release for half that price. Yeah, I was like, yeah, that was the Johnny White, the Johnny Walker, the White Walker edition. I've got two bottles of those. I kept one sealed, I have one open that I've been drinking. It's not bad, it's nothing spectacular. Yeah. It's not. It's not something I'm gonna go out and try to, you know, seek and destroy and get. But I mean, I'll drink it. Yeah, Brent, you remember that? Uh, so one of the one of the ones that they just come out with, like the ruler of the Seven Kingdoms, basically the Three Eye Raven edition. Yeah, yeah I Mortlock saw that. fifteen. Brent, you remember that Mortlock we had from the Whiskey Advent Calendar? Uh, I can go back and look at the notes and, and refresh my memory on it. It's but not, it good. not good. It's, <laughs> it's not, not good. good. I, I gave it a 68. Um, they probably just went around all these distilleries and be like, all right, which one of you guys has got some barrels you want to get rid of? Oh, well, it's you, all you Diageo. You can't figure out what you want to do. What do you want to do with this? It's all Diageo stuff. It's all stuff from Diageo's distilleries that yeah. ordinarily goes into a blend of Johnny Walker Black, and they're like, hey, you know, spare some on this side, and, and we'll throw it into a special edition bottle, and you can sell it for... You know, three times as much as you would sell Johnny Walker Black. Here you go. I, I gave yeah. it a seventy-three. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't good. Wasn't good. Wasn't that's, good. that's why I'm kind of kind of hoping I'll just sit on those bottles for a little bit and see what happens. Well, look, as far <laughs> as celebrity whiskey goes, I think this is probably one of the better ones. 
Um, There's a couple others we do need to try. Uh, We tried to get a bottle of that Montgomery Scott one. I heard it was really bad, though, so we'll uh, we'll pass on that one. The the Montgomery Scott scotch? Yep. I do have the James T. T. Kirk bourbon. Have you tried it? I have not. I have not opened it yet. I also have a bottle of the 10 Forward Vodka. Wow. So... Uh, I I just I I think I think sometimes these get a little gimmicky, but this one was really good. Yes, this one was actually one of the the rare ones I think. Yeah, it was definitely definitely on the uh, uh, the more uh, the better side of a celebrity uh, alcohol. So look, um, we're gonna end the short pour. We'll be back with some more whiskey, some more bourbon, uh, because we have some more Bond stuff to talk about. So, uh, Chris, I want to thank you for coming on the show. We're definitely gonna have you back soon, Uh, Brant. A lot of fun this time. Absolutely, yeah. This was this is cool. I love having the the bond topic as uh, the background. So good times. Go in and check out our Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash BSEA podcast, or just search BSEA podcast in the little search bar. Easiest way to find it. Join it because guess what? The you know, we are just a few days away from February being over and pledge month ending which uh, you're going to have an awesome chance to win some really cool vintage bottles of uh, George C. Stagg, Thomas Handy, and uh, what else we got in there? Well, uh, Weller 12. Samples. Samples. Samples, people. You're samples. Not samples. Yeah, you're not getting full Drams. bottles. Samples. Did you have Rue Weller in there? No, it's two bottles of Stagg, or two vials of Stagg, a vial Andy, of Handy, and, uh, and a vial of the, uh, 12. Okay. Weller 12. Good deal. But it's it's free whiskey. Absolutely. All you got to do is Absolutely. all you got to do is join the page, recruit. subscribe to the podcast, and or recruit someone. Uh, we haven't had too many recruits. Most of the most of the new people are finding the show on their own. So uh, go out and recruit. You know, let others know where to find the secret speakeasy, and you'll be entered into to winning this uh, this awesome prize package. Absolutely. So there's two there's two sets for. Uh, Past members recruiting new people and two sets for the new recruits. Uh, the new recruits far outweigh the uh, the recruiters. So, if you are a current member and you want to try and win some of this stuff, by all means recruit because your name will go pretty much to the top of the list. <laughs> Can't go wrong with that. There you go. Nope. Easy that, way to win. That's in Easy the, way to the win. end of the month, end of February. End of the month, February twenty. Is it 29th this year? Is this yes, a it leap is. year? It is a leap year. Yep. Yeah, so February 29th. You get an extra day. It's going to come down. Somebody's out there sandbagging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> stack, stack, like, stack the deck till the end <laughs> there. And just All right, guys, and go. And and look, for recruiting members, uh, for new, for old members, every person you recruit gets one entry. So if you recruit five people, you get five entries. And I mean, you can only win one package, but still, that's a better chance to win than someone who's only recruited one. Yep. Show enough. A lot of fun. Uh, we'll be back shortly with some more short pours, but uh, we have some. We have an awesome episode coming up next month. It's the McAllen uh, Triple. What are we going to call this? The Triple Play, McAllen Triple Play. We're going to be drinking uh, the Mac Twelve Series, the Sherry Cask, the Double Oak, and the Triple Oak. Very excited to see these three side by side. Yes, it's kind of like your yeah. your wood experiments with Wood Knob Creek, but from an actual trained professional. Yes, <laughs> someone that does it much better than me. Somebody that doesn't age it in a barrel in his basement. Yeah. <laughs> it was, you know what? It was good, and then it got a little too oaky. Uh, McAllen is much better than I am. They got people. they got they Lots know people. people. They they know it. Yeah, they they know a guy. Yeah. 
Yeah, they know a guy. They have big. They have much bigger barrels than I do. <laughs> True that. So so yeah, we'll be drinking some Macallan uh, Macallan Twelve Series. Um, awesome. If you have them, by all means, share your notes when the show comes out. Share what you got on those uh, those pallets. Uh, if not, go out and get a bottle. It, you know, they range from anywhere from 55 to 60 bucks per bottle. It, it is a little bit of an investment, but let me tell you something. Mac 12, I think for the money is a perfect whiskey and you won't be, you won't be disappointed. I agree. So, uh, tune into that coming up soon. That, that'll be in March, but, uh, Chris, thank you so much for coming down here tonight. Appreciate it guys. Thank you. Brant, as always, it's a lot of fun when we do this. It absolutely is. Yeah, Chris, thanks for coming uh, down at Speakeasy and hanging out and uh, learning me on some, some Bond. <laughs> it's always a good time when you can talk Bond. Hey. All right. Well, if you came here to learn. Drink what you learned. If you came here to share. Share what you drink. If you came in here a stranger. May you exit as a friend. And if you came here for an adventure. Drink, drink up. up. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, everyone. Cheers, guys. Cheers.